Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, sponsored by What It Takes. Today is Thursday, July 30th. Stocks are down, NASA's new Mars rover is up, and we're focused on the Deadspin reunion tour. Later tonight, the NBA kicks off its restart with a pair of games from the bubble in Orlando. Among those sure to be watching are the 18 or so sports writers who late last year quit the popular site Deadspin in protest over private equity-backed management interference in their editorial decisions. This week, we learned that the ex-Deadspinners have resurrected themselves into something called Defector Media, a new sports and culture media company that soft launches with a podcast next month and then goes fully online in early September. Why it matters is that the broader media industry is watching Defector very carefully particularly the countless journalists who either have been laid off or who are worried about getting laid off. Defector is going to use a subscription model and claims 10,000 people signed up in the 24 hours after its Monday announcement. Most of those staffers, they're not getting paid up front. Instead, they will get cash once the revenue begins to flow. There are also no outside investors, with every founding employee getting equity. Taking a step back, there isn't a media model right now that works universally. Some sites have raised venture capital funding and have prospered. Others have taken venture capital funding and succumbed to the weight of growth expectations. Some legacy sites have successfully leveraged their brands to build thriving subscription businesses. Others have launched subscription businesses and found no takers. If Defector can succeed, it at least presents another path that others could try to emulate. In 15 seconds, we will go deeper with former Deadspin writer and current Defector Media co-founder, Getty Nathan. But first, this. We're joined now by Giddy Nathan, formerly of Deadspin, now of Defector Media. So Giddy, let's start just with timing. This is a very interesting time to launch a site primarily focused on sports, given that we sort of maybe have baseball. We don't know for how much longer. Why now? First, I'd say as a collection of writers, I think we're weirdly well equipped for this time. We've always been interested in writing about the surrounding business, culture, and politics of sports. You don't actually need the big game on TV every night to do that. In fact, that's really rich territory right now, thinking about all the social and business implications of the decisions these leagues are making right now, especially labor implications, which is a big emphasis for us. Let's go back to last year and when you and many of your colleagues decided to leave Geo Media, basically at least temporarily killed Headspin. Can you talk to me a little bit what it was like inside and for you personally, how difficult or maybe not difficult was the decision to walk away from a paying job? I would say against the backdrop of media in general, which is frankly quite bleak, it is always difficult to walk away from a job. But the circumstances made it pretty clear that that was the only way forward. We had management that fundamentally didn't understand the message and appeal of our business. We had managerial situations where we weren't sure if colleagues would be around in another month or if they'd be fired on a whim. We had our reader experience kind of degraded by low quality ads and all these things added up where it just didn't seem like a workable situation. And after our top editor, Barry Pacheski, was fired, we pretty clearly and collectively came to that decision that we were all going to walk out together. And early on, there was a plan to build something new from there. It took a little time to put the pieces together, but here we are. 
This is not the first time that a group of journalists or writers have decided to launch a site on their own, even sans investors. One of the issues that often comes up is that writers are often very good at writing and very good at reporting and not terribly good on the business side of running a media company, whether that be sales or technology or a lot of kind of the blocking and tackling that's needed to make a company work. I know you've hired you know, a former Bain & Company consultant to kind of run revenue for you guys, but what makes you confident that even if your content is really good, that there is going to be a Defector Media Inc. or Corp. or whatever it is a year from now? I would say our early experience, which I'm very grateful for, is that a lot of our partners and vendors are excited enough about the project to do a lot of work for us, frankly, up front and be a little more generous about how we end up paying them back. So we have Ali doing our web development, Pico handling our paywall software, Stitchers doing our flagship podcast, and we have our lawyer, Alan Lungan, handling legal stuff. But we've been clear with all our partners. We plan to build in a moderate, sustainable way, and we don't have to go for the types of risks that might. What's something you're not going to do that you think you otherwise might have to do? The fundamental thing is we're not giving away a large chunk of our company to an investor with you know voting rights and information rights and some kind of say over how we grow and on what terms. But I also think that, frankly, there's some flexibility when your runway is determined by the tolerance <laughs> of your staff. And I think we were all clear about the fact that money might not be coming for us in terms of full salaries up front, but we were willing to wait that out and see how things went. The business model you guys are deciding, which is, you know, you talked about having a paywall software provider and you guys are a subscription site. Why did you settle on that as opposed to either a free site that's ad supported or maybe supported via events or via other things or a hybrid? Based on our model, it wouldn't take a huge capture of our previous following at Deadspin or just our own fans as individual writer to make this workable. So we wanted to provide the best possible experience to those readers. And that means not cluttering their field with ads and stuff. And subscription model seemed like the way to do that. And with a modest target, it seemed like the cleanest reader experience. When you say a modest target, you guys announced 10,000 subscribers on day one. And you're planning to launch. I know the podcast launches next month or your flagship podcast, the site in September. What's your target? When the day you flip the switch and the site goes live, how many subscribers do you want to have? Most I would say on that is that our first day numbers put us well on track to get there. Overwhelmed and grateful for the response. We obviously don't expect the surge of a first day announcement to hold up you know, every week up until the actual launch. But we're also confident that once we actually put out articles for people to read. After you guys all left Deadspin, Deadspin still exists. There is a deadspin.com. There's a website. They publish content on a daily basis. Do you ever read it? And either way, what do you think about the current incarnation? Deadspin continues to exist, and there are sports and sports-adjacent blogs on that site. I can't say I personally have read too much of it. We're Defector up today, right now, on whatever we are, July 30th. What would you, what would you, Giddy, be writing about right now? I do mostly uh, NBA, pro tennis, men's and women's, and a mix of food and politics. So what would be your story, though? If you got there in the morning, you have a story meeting and say, this is what I want to write today, it would be what? I'm pretty excited about John Morant coming back, and I think he's some of the most telegenic and electrifying talent we've seen on a TV screen in a while, so I'm pumped about that. You guys didn't take outside investors, and I know you said you got preferential deals from a bunch of vendors where you can kind of pay them back over time. Are you guys bootstrapping it individually? So Jasper Wang, who is our operations guy, has given us a loan up front to handle some of those fees, and 
that's been plenty to kind of hold us over through this intermediate period. And then we can start dipping into the money that we've been getting from subscriptions as well. Gideon Nathan of Defector Media, which officially launches September. Is there a date? It's going to be in the first two weeks of September. First two weeks of September. Thank you very much for joining us. Take care. Welcome back. What we're watching today is the economy. After we learned that America's GDP fell nearly 33% in the second quarter. That is the worst ever contraction since the government began keeping records on this 73 years ago. Although Deutsche Bank later suggested things might have been slightly worse during the Great Depression. So I guess that's the silver lining. Now that we've seen the headline number, I asked Axios markets reporter Courtney Brown what the one thing was inside of the report that she thought people should know. It's a bit counterintuitive, just the key role that the stimulus package played. I know that the report shows utter economic deterioration, but in the face of all of that, personal incomes are rising. And why that matters is because another stimulus package is in limbo in Congress right now, and we're at a difficult place. The jobless numbers aren't looking great, and coronavirus cases are surging across the country. So in the face of all that, I think one thing that people can take away is just how important the stimulus package was for the economy. Today, we're also watching the November election, specifically if it's going to be in November. President Trump this morning floated the idea of delaying the vote, claiming again, baselessly, that mail-in voting would lead to fraud. Quick reality check. Trump doesn't have the power to change the election date. Congress does. And it won't. Finally, we also continue to watch the upcoming return of college students to campus. Specifically, a new study by the New York Times that found at least 6,600 coronavirus cases have been tied to colleges so far. Yeah, before the new academic year. To be clear, this isn't just about students. For example, the study includes 41 construction workers at Appalachian State in North Carolina. But overall, the data is understated because, as the Times reports, hundreds of colleges refuse to respond to their inquiries while hundreds more refuse to answer many of its questions, citing privacy concerns. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national Chili Dog Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.